0: 95.7 The Game presents Warriors World Radio Featuring the one and only Andy Lou. Grow up Yeah, you, grow up And Sam Esfandiari
1: So, who are you? Why do I gotta talk to you?
0: This is Warriors World Radio On 95.7 The Game
2: Warriors Radio, we are back. I, Andy Lou, him, Samus Vendiari. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. What we got today? What do we got on the show? It's action
3: packed. We got a lot today. We're going to uh, dive into Clippers Warriors game one. Um, I think Steph Curry might dominate the, uh, pretty good. the start of that conversation. He's not bad. Uh, we got Ben Golliver, national writer from the Washington Post, coming on later, and Jovan Bruja uh, from The Athletic. Clippers beat writer
2: coming on. Fun stuff, fun stuff. We'll talk about KD. Uh, He was great last night. We'll talk about why the way he's playing is so important. Uh, We'll talk about Draymond. But I I do want to start with Steph Curry. (laughs) It's It's the easy highlight. He had eight threes. He broke Ray Allen's playoff record for most threes in about more than half the games. He had 15 rebounds. What can't he do? Don't forget the seven assists. Seven assists. So he didn't get a triple-double, right? So, you know, tough tough game for Steph. But if you're looking at – it reminds me, Sam, of 2016. Um, He had that MVP season, 73 wins, unanimous. And he came out and he just started destroying, right? But then he sprained that ankle. Do you remember that? He sprained that ankle. uh, And then from there, it was kind of downhill, uh, right, he he had to he had that knee injury after that, but I think that was the type of kind of statement game that Steph is trying to throw out there and say, "Hey, I'm the best player in the world."
3: Yeah, I mean, it, when he takes over a game like he did against the Clippers, it it dominates everything. I think we all saw the highlight shots. I mean, I think he probably had the five best shots of this weekend, particularly the one where he pulled up from about 35 while being fouled with all of his teammates or three of his teammates on the other side of the half court line. It was just the kind of thing where you're like, that's, that's why stuff's special.
2: There have been five guards. I'm looking at your notes, Sam, hard prep work before the show here. Five guards that have gone 35 and 15 in a playoff game. George Girvin, 82, Michael Jordan, twice, 89 and 91. Kobe in '01 and Russ last year in 2018. If we look at the kind of physical stature of these guys, I don't think you can even compare it right to someone like Steph Curry. He doesn't have that kind of physical brutality like these guys, but he's still able to, still able to do that. And Doc Rivers, after the game, I thought he said something very interesting where he said Steph was the most underrated player. Yeah, we got the Doc audio.
1: I was telling my coaching staff, I still think Steph Curry is one, of, is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I don't even know how that happens, but he is. He's taken for granted. Um, and all I know is when he's on the floor, he is a handful, and he makes them better in so many ways. He was one of the best rebounders today. You know, he just does everything. He's a great player.
3: By the way, shout out Doc having, uh, having lost his voice already. Um, <laughs> I can't remember the last time Doc hadn't lost his voice.
2: I don't that's actually Doc's voice, I feel like. Like that that's
3: him normally. Just permanent Marty Funkhauser.
2: <laughs> great uh, great curb reference. I it it is interesting because Doc Rivers was the the person, the coach that did say, Hey, if do you remember when Draymond called him uh what did he call him? Uh Glenn. Glenn. That's right. Good because story Glenn because he was saying the a couple years ago, if they were healthy, um, or whatever it was, they would have beaten the Warriors. Right? They didn't have to go through them. So it is interesting, a couple years after that now, he's kind of changed his tune, and he's saying that, hey, Steph is one of the most underrated players in the league.
3: Well, you know what that is. At that time, the Clippers were a contender, and they were within punching distance of the Warriors. We, we don't think they were, but legitimately, they were one of the better teams in the West. And, you know, he can't, he can't go out there saying, oh, yeah, Steph's so much better than Chris Paul. He's got to pump up his own guys, so he's got to say, you know, they're good, but we can beat them. Right now, he's got a young team. They're kind of rebuilding. They've had a very successful year, but he knows getting to the playoffs was a big step for them this year. Um, they're not, you know, they don't think they can challenge the Warriors this year. Maybe next year when they get another couple guys in there and their young players grow, but they know they're not there
2: yet. Yeah, that's an overmatched team. Yesterday, uh, we were watching that that starting lineup come out, and they don't even play Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, who are probably their two best players. I mean, Danilo's right there, but. Outside of that, you're playing Landry Shamit. Right?
3: Yeah, a lot of good young players, but they are mostly rookies and second-year players. Landry Shamit, rookie. Shea Gildress Alexander, rookie. Um, who else are we forgetting? Montrez Harold's, what, third-year? Yeah. So, second. I mean, it's, it's a lot of players that you, you definitely would like to have in your team, and they're going to have really good NBA careers, but they're not Steph Curry in his prime.
2: Uh, Colin, uh, tell us what you think about Steph's performance, what you think about what Doc said about Steph being underrated. Is it true? Is it not? Uh, text us on the chill Auto Body text line 95795. Tweet us, hashtag WarriorsWorldRadio, and call in 888-957-9570. More on Steph's game, because I'm, I'm interested in this as well. He does something that I think a lot of players, a lot of superstars in the league don't do, is that they let the game come to them. He didn't shoot a shot, and he really wasn't a part of the offense for about the first six, seven minutes of the game. And this is a postseason game. This is not just any game in you know January, which I find fascinating because we're starting to see the same thing from Kevin Durant.
3: Yeah, um, to the Steph point. Uh, well, you brought up the stat earlier. He's one of five players to have five guards to go thirty-five and fifteen in a playoff game. Steph did it on sixteen shots. He was eleven of sixteen. We all can remember him getting you know absurdly hot in the third quarter. Um, all the other players who did it did it on over 25 shots. Most of them were doing it on 30 some shots. So, he he wasn't he wasn't taking over the game in the literal sense of, you know, ball in my hands. We're watching the Rockets and Jazz right now and, you know, James Harden's going to have the ball in his hands the whole game. He wasn't doing it like that. He was letting the game come to him. He was moving off of screens, taking shots as they came, getting rebounds where he could, and then boom, all of a sudden it hits.
2: All of a sudden it's over. I think the the two key points of the game were the end of the second half. Uh it was uh they had a ten point lead. The bench blew the lead. We'll talk about cousins a little bit later on. Wasn't great last night. Um but they put the death line up on the floor and they pushed the lead back up to nine uh by halftime. And then in the third quarter, Steph had one of his runs where he makes a couple threes in a row and a two four point game becomes ten and it's over. Right? It's not it's not a hey, let's go back and forth. It's a if I make these two three back breaking threes in a row. This one's not coming back, which is exactly what happened. So those are the type of things that I think you see from Steph that you don't see from any other player. We watched Damian Lillard play this morning, who was fantastic. But even with the way he shoots, I think he had a new nickname, Sam, Logo Lillard, which I've never heard before. But um, even when he's making those threes, those games are still close at the end. With Steph, when he's making those shots, he blows it out.
3: Number one home run hitter, yeah, maybe in basketball history. I mean, I can't think of anyone who can just end a game With their scoring, the way Steph can in in a two-minute span, because it's not just layup and then you know a steal and another layup. It's like five straight threes, fifteen to two solo run, and all of a sudden the game's flipped. The energy's gone the other way. I think that's the biggest thing: how back-breaking some of Steph's shots can be. Um, It's it's like it's a modern-day version of what kind of a poster dunk on someone is. Only it's worth an extra point. Yeah, Um, you think that.
2: He's got a shot here to kind of cement himself. I think we're, we're about eight minutes into the show. We're gonna bring this up. We're going to break soon. We're gonna have Ben Goliver on. but you think, you think this is this postseason run? He can cement himself as the best player in the game.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Um, he's not gonna get. It's it's hard in this day and age where people kind of want to see that player playing hero ball. They want to see the James Harden, you know. He has no help. He has to do this, and it's it's harder for people to grapple with the idea that he has all these good teammates, but he's the straw that stirs the drink, and he's the one who kind of amplifies the whole thing and makes it unbeatable. I mean, we 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 just heard Doc Doc Rivers' audio. He said it right there. You know, Steph's Steph's the one. He affects the game in so many different ways. He has a different effect than anyone else on the Warriors, and this is a team with five All Stars.
2: Well, I think you made a great point earlier about all-around game, though. I think Steph is underrated in the fact that you think he has one singular skill, and that singular
3: skill is the greatest in NBA history, right? Right. He's He shoots the ball so well, You don't. it's easy to take for granted. He is a good passer. He is an excellent rebounder for a guard. He is a good defender. He moves off ball better than any— There's no one who has a better combination of on- and off-ball game than him. So it's very easy to not think of him as a complete player and just think of him as a shooter when, in fact, it's hard to think of a skill he lacks that he isn't above average too great at.
2: Yeah, I mean, does he does everything, and he's someone that I think the most important part is when he doesn't have the ball, he's, he's just as good if not better than he is with the ball, and that's something that is scary. Um, for other teams. We had a text that came in, Sam, and I don't know if I should answer it. 707 asking about Looney staying past the season. We have about well, a
3: minute left before we go on Looney break. was excellent last yeah. night, so let, let's talk about this. We, you know, we'll go back to Steph probably a couple <laughs> more times in the show.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought he was... Uh, he does things where so, nobody uh, cares about because he's not a scorer and, he, and he's not a shot blocker.
3: Let's let's read the t- text. Do you think Looney stays past the season? They have his bird rights. Lacob needs to put his money where his mouth is, and keep this thing going.
2: I think with Cousins gone, with Damian Jones hurt, with Jordan Bell now
3: looking great, they have to. They have no choice. Here's the, here's the other thing, um, not to get too into the weeds. Looney is gonna, Looney's a really good player, but a lot of other teams are going to look at him and wonder, is he really going to be that impactful for us? We don't have Steph Curry. We don't have Klay Thompson. We definitely don't have Kevin Durant. What's he really going to do for us? We need more out of that position than just a guy who's a solid defender and fills the gaps. So I think he's actually going to be one of those guys. The Warriors will have an opportunity to keep him on a relatively affordable deal, you know, more than the minimum. But I don't see this market where, you know, Looney's getting, you know, five. To you know, or, or ten to twenty million or anything like that. You know? <laughs> who who would have thought that uh,
2: Kevon Looney would be one of the more important pieces to the team? But he is. He's probably the best bench guy outside of Andre Iguodala. They do close lineups with him. But anyway, we got we got a big show ahead of us. We got a bunch of great guests. We got some great topics on KD Draymond coming up. We have Ben Goliver coming up on the other side from the Washington Post. Stay on ninety five seven. The game.
0: Now back. Light Years Radio on 95.7 The Game. Here's Andy Lou and Sam Espandiari.
2: Warriors Radio.
3: Steph Curry. Make sure to text in to the Chilton Auto Body text line 95795. Tweet us at hashtag WarriorsWorldRadio and call in at 888-957-9570. All right, we talked a little bit
2: about Steph Curry playing within the offense and watching Jazz Rockets right now. The Warriors took seven games last year to beat the Rockets. I think one of the main issues last year was that the team was taken out of their offense. And I think a lot of Warriors fans were frustrated with KD kind of taking matters into his own hands. And it was great in game one. He took them to a victory. But it was a little bit uglier in game three and four when they lost those games. Um, sorry. Th- uh, no, right, that's right. Right. Um, But he w- he's he been great the last couple months, and I think I was a little bit skeptical because I didn't know if that was how he was going to play in game one of the postseason, uh, just because there's more on the line. But, Sam, I thought yesterday he essentially played the same way he did at the end of the regular season. He let the game come to him, which you don't which – you, which you haven't
3: seen in a couple years. So uh, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, he was – he was getting shots early because that's the way the offense was flowing. Um, the Clippers were – they were putting a smaller defender. They had Beverly on him for a lot of the game. I kind of thought they were trying to bait the Warriors into going isolation. Um, it speaks to how much talent the Warriors have that your defensive strategy is we're going to bait Kevin Durant into isolations. Uh, speaks to kind of the, the, the riches the Warriors have, for <laughs> lack of a better way to put it. Um, but they – You know he played in the offense. He took the shots that he had, but he kept moving the ball. And then when Steph started going, you know he he just deferred to him, just kind of played within the flow. He had twenty three points on sixteen shots, a solid game. Probably would have had four to five more points if he didn't get ejected a little early there. But either way. Just a classic Kevin Durant game. You know, he could have done more, but kind of did what he had to do. Steph was going, why not feed the hot hand?
2: All right, so that that part's fascinating with Bev, Pat Bev because they were in each other all game long. KD had some great quotes after the game where he essentially said that, "Hey, this is this is what Pat Bev does, right?" And so, and so that's I think that's something he's smart enough to realize that this is what they want him to do. They want him to score. They want him to check up 30 shots a game, but he's not going to allow him to do that. And I think he's smart enough to say, look, they're not post. They're not putting Pat Bev on me to guard me one-on-one. They're going to throw twos and threes on me. And they want him to, to short- shoot those contested shots. And he's not having it. So facilitator KD, he's smart enough to realize that. And I think that's someone that he's, when he gets clay and he gets Steph open shots, you can't guard that offense. DeMarcus Cousins, he got a bunch of open shots too. That on the other hand, that's a different story. But this type of Kevin Durant, you just you can't he's probably the best player in the world. He doesn't need to say, "Hey, I should be the best player in the world" if I have these big performances the way he's playing, anchoring the team's, you know, the best defense in the league, the best offense in the league. You there's no you can't do better than that.
3: Yeah, I mean, when he plays within the flow, they're absolutely unstoppable because you know, Katie, Steph, whoever it may be, can go off at any time. But when they're just moving the ball, it's just a matter of finding the hot hand instead of trying to force a specific issue and kind of making it easier on the defense.
2: All right, now that we got some interest, we got an interesting article that came out on The Athletic with, uh, with Kevin Durant. And uh, I think it was Marcus Thompson? Michael Lee. Michael Lee that wrote it. Who boy. And it's 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 titled on his on why his decision to come to the Bay Area has paid off in every way. And this came out right before the postseason started, which is Yeah, it was a little curious. curious.
3: It's a little curious that he's still talking about his decision to come to the Bay uh, in these terms in his third season right before the playoffs. It almost feels like foreshadowing. And one of those things where why why do you need to do that? But the
2: quotes in self are, are great because you start to wonder, you know, For me, when I look at the quotes, and and Sam's bringing it up now, why didn't he just say this You know, when he
3: first became a warrior? Not three years in. Yeah, I wonder why it it needed even to come out. So I'm going to read the (laughs) first quote. I came here for a fact knowing that every media member, every fan was going to call me every name in the book. For however long I was here, and I was going to take the brunt of everything. I knew coming here. But I wanted to be a part of this so bad, I didn't give up. Same with LeBron. He took all the heat no matter what. (laughs) It's game one of the postseason,
2: 2019, Sam. I I just, you know, we didn't bring this up. You know, there's no reason for us to bring this up. I just find it very, very weird that he would. Um, It's almost a way of painting how he wants to be viewed.
3: How he wants to be remembered. Ooh, past tense. I mean, I don't know how you can't focus on the past tense here. I knew coming I knew coming here I was gonna get called every name in the book for however long I was there. Now you can you could say a, on the one hand, when people talk they don't always think about tenses and they're just kind of free flowing and KD just likes to kind of respond to questions. On the other hand, with his free agency looming and with many people thinking, you know, he may leave the Warriors and kind of want a new challenge, presenting this on the eve of the playoffs sounds like a farewell tour. Yeah, we do want to hear, you know,
2: kind of what people think about that because I think we know what Sam, Sam and I feel about it, about how KD and how the way he's playing, the stuff that he's saying, you know, sometimes kind of contradicts each other. But call in, let us know, 888 957 9570. And text and- us
3: at the Chilton Auto Body text line, 95795. And tweet us at hashtag WarriorsWorldRadio.
2: All right, so we've got Ben Golliver from the Washington Post coming on in a few minutes here. Um, but before that, let's talk about Draymond Green. Because for the Warriors to look like an unstoppable force on offense, Draymond Green has to make... He has to be a threat. Even something. Even like 33% of his
3: threes. Yeah, those those four-point games we're getting regu- regularly in January aren't going to do. But in... The last month or so, the offense has really come around. He's looked a lot more like that Draymond of 2016, that guy who could count on to at least hit an open shot with some consistency. You know, he's not going to shoot it like Steph or Clay, but no one expects him to, and finish at the rim if he's got if he's got the lane.
2: One of the main things I look for when I, when I see how Draymond is going to be played and whether he's hyped up or not is the amount of turnovers that he has and bear with me here, but whenever he turns the ball over a lot in the beginning of the games, that's usually a good sign, I think, for Draymond because that means he's locked in. He's energized. He knows where he needs to be. He's trying to make plays rather than being hesitant and not making plays and just kind of being out there as a guy. Rather have him be aggressive than not. So I'm okay with the amount of turnovers that he has. It ended up with him having a line of 17-7-7, seven, seven, um, shooting two for four from the three. So I think when he's playing like that, when he's actually going to the hole and trying to score and actually not not hesitating, you that that's that's a Draymond Green that we've
3: seen before, but probably not for
2: like, you know, maybe 3 years.
3: Yeah, and I think it really does come back to the shot. Draymond's always going to be a plus player because he's so smart, great passer, all-time great defender. But when that shot's falling, he really goes to the next level. Over the last month, he's been 40% from 3. Since the All-Star break, he's been around 37%. It's not like he's chucking up shots, but he's he's finally got back to that kind of 2015 to 17 level where it was, hey, if you leave me open, I'll take this shot. And if I'm wide open, I'll make enough of them that you're going to regret it.
2: Yeah, that's a, a scary Draymond on green. Um, 41% from three in his last 14 regular season games. If you want to push it back even further, nearly 37% in 25 regular season games. I mean, that's over a quarter of games. That's a sample size worth mattering. Um, maybe he's healthy. You know, that's, that's
3: what Yeah, we know he struggled with his shoulder last year. He played through it. He he was impactful in other ways, but he, he was clearly struggling with getting the shot up because it was his shoulder. On that note, we're seeing how much that's affecting Paul George and OKC. Um, he was shooting basically like he was a splash brother for most of the year. Then he hurt his shoulder, couldn't make a shot. Now OKC just looks like an average team because... A player who looked like he was going to be the MVP of the league or playing at that level has now come back down to earth, can't hit any shots, and they have nothing.
2: Yeah, we're going to talk about Russ and uh, Katie. We'll ask Ben Golliver, who's coming on in a few minutes here, what he thought about that Blazers-OKC game earlier today. But um, right now we've got Robin uh, on the line. On the line, how's it going? It's
4: gone. Hey, you guys, I just wanted to uh, say real quickly, it's not why I called, the Warriors are on 60 Minutes tonight, so uh, I don't know if you DVR'd it or whatnot, but uh, I I did, and uh, I'm looking forward to going home and watching uh, you know you've arrived if you're on 60 Minutes.
0: (laughs)
2: No Um, Draymond Green, which I'm curious about, but yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say about the KD thing, you know, Um, you know, why he's focusing on this and that. I don't know how the media works, uh, but I, I I don't know why would he go to them. They came to him. But my same thought was with um, this guy uh, Rick Bushner or whatever. He wrote this article about Katie's God. Why is the media still focusing on this? Why is this guy writing this when well, we were headed to the playoffs? Why is the media? So I don't think it's all KD. I really do think there's backdoor hate going on, backdoor distractions going on. You're not writing about the playoffs, but you're writing about being a done deal, going to the Knicks. Whether do you have a crystal ball? You're clairvoyant. So I don't think it's all KD, you guys. I think the media is a, a culprit in that, too, as well. And that's all I had to say. I wanted to take up a little bit for my boy because he got his work in last night. You guys. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Robin. You have a great
4: one.
2: Oh, uh, we got some KD stands. KD gets, KD gets some hate sometimes for not having people stick up for him. I, I thought that was great by Robin who brought that up. You
3: know, there's some truth in what you're saying. The, the whole speculation thing fuels the media cycle. There is a level of sometimes we focus more on fantasy basketball and next year's lineups than what's right in front of us. But I will say the lack of commitment and kind of the noise you hear out everything is why it's so loud with regards to KD in New York. So it goes both ways, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. So my my thing is here. It's it's a long. It's been a long season. It's already been 82 regular season games. It's been one postseason game. When it's that long of a season, and there there are ways that you can shut this down. It just was never shut down correctly from day one. It's very easy. LeBron does it. Um, Steph does it. All the players that deal with this—it's like PR do it? 101. It's,
3: does LeBron do it? Because while he, while he says he's not going to talk about it, and he's committed to the season. It's not like the noise doesn't go away with him. It's not like all of last year it wasn't. Where is he going to play the following year?
2: Yeah, but I, I think he's still he, there's still the way he says it and the way he has media kind of, um, kind of shape those views of how they write it where. It just it makes it seem like hey LeBron does act like he doesn't care what's going on, he just wants to play basketball. With KD he's never really gone out and said that. Like he's more whined about the backlash from what the media Oh, said. I
3: disagree with you. KD says, I just want to play basketball all the time. If you listen to his words, all he says is he wants to play basketball. And he only has to say one or two things outside of that to shut all the stuff down that
2: isn't about basketball, right? But you can't just keep saying you want to play basketball when there are things Outside of that, that you do need to say no to or shut out or kind of tell the media, this is not what I'm talking about.
3: So what did you want him to say? Like, give me an example of what he could have said that would have curbed the speculation outside of signing a five-year yeah, extension, Right, right. which isn't which he can't do. We should mention that. If he wants to stay with the Warriors and sign his five-year contract, he can't do it until this summer. It's just the way the CBA works. Well, I think it's simple. I think it's just something
2: along the lines of, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he ever said this in the preseason or the regular season. But just so much as, hey, this is going to be, you know, this is our last Oracle season, right? We want to win a three-peat. All we're focusing on right now is basketball, right? This is all we care about, and that's all I'm going to talk about from now on, right? But instead, we've got all these kind of tidbits. And, you know, here's, here's the thing he may have some stuff behind him, like from, I don't know, like people around him that are leaking news or anything like that that may that, that you may not want to see, you may not want to hear from. So that may be on him as well. So um, We
3: have Joey on line one. Joey, how's it going?
5: Hey, I'm doing great. I was calling uh, actually in response to that last caller saying how uh, basically bringing up Rick Bucher, and I actually think he did a huge favor to Warrior fans – because I think he actually spoke the truth that KD that we probably haven't shown KD the love that he deserves because it's it's Stephs and Clay's and Draymond's team. But if he were to stay, because we actually feel a little bit, we got called out and we feel a little bit guilty, so we show a little extra love. I think that actually show, gives us a greater chance of keeping him because we're gonna you know we're gonna show it because you know it's true that we didn't.
3: Thank you, Joey. Appreciate the call. Uh, that's an interesting point. Uh, if KD does just want the love to stay, if that's a big part of it, kind of the fear that he's going to walk is what's going to get it to come out, right?
2: I mean, saw saw a tweet the other uh, last night about how there were MVP chance for both Steph and KD, which I thought was uh, was uh, pretty funny. But you know, if if that's if that's what's going to make you stay on the Warriors, listen. Why come to the Warriors in the first place? That can't be the most important thing. That just does that just doesn't make sense. So, um, we've got Ben Gulliver, Sam from the Washington Post on Warriors World Radio. Ben, sir, how are you doing?
5: I'm good, guys. Although I have a beef, I'm not sure what's more disrespectful: that Steph Curry pull up three in Game One against the Clippers, or you guys having this very popular radio show, but waiting until the Game of Thrones premiere to have me on the show i'm not sure what's more disrespectful there
3: see we thought this would be a good time for you um game of thrones isn't on until nine it's 7 30 right now you know we're, we're just, you know i know you're you're making your popcorn you're probably getting a lot of extra sauce in there and it takes you ex, extra time but you know we, we thought we gave you enough time
5: i guess i'm just going by the dorks on twitter who are watching the east coast feed so i don't know exactly how these time zones work but um, you know, I don't watch the show, but I'm, I'm glad there's somebody who's degenerate enough to want to talk about basketball right now. It warms my heart.
2: Wow, not a Game of Thrones fans. By the way, Sam doesn't want to admit it. He already told me not to say it, but he also is not a Game of Thrones oh, fan. Oh, I'm not so. going to hide it. I don't watch it either.
5: <laughs> <laughs> too many guys with beards to keep straight. That's why I'm watching Harden right now. Uh, he stands out for the Rockets.
2: <laughs> Blowing out the Jazz. By the way, Actually, we want to get your thoughts on... Uh, on pretty much all the series that are going on because the Eastern Conference, we'll start in the East because a, um, a lot of upsets. It almost feels like college basketball over there. And we'll start with the Toronto Raptors and Kyle Lowry. Um, speaking of internet nerds, Ben, I saw a lot of plus 11 yesterday talking about Kyle Lowry being plus 11 on the floor in the game that they lost by, I think, three. But he went 0 for 7. What's going on with the Raptors?
5: Yeah, well, I think, first of all, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's one real team in the Eastern Conference. That's the Milwaukee Bucks. You look at how they took care of business. I mean, that was a real professional effort. Everybody else is playing college basketball, JV basketball. I mean, that's sort of what we saw. Even Boston struggled for two quarters against Indiana. In terms of Lowry, I mean, it's kind of the same old thing. People bend over backwards to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. But, look, he's been terrible in the playoffs for years. Uh, It's going to be more pronounced this year because DeMar DeRozan was always worse, and so he could kind of get more of the uh, criticism. Now I think he's going to get exposed a little bit. Uh, I saw a couple issues for Toronto, though. I mean, number one, uh, they get swallowed up by the moment. The fan base up there is just so panicky. I think that contributes to uh, some of the stuff you see on the court. It just gets in these guys' heads. I think that's a real thing. And then number two, on the most important play of the game, you've got two Defensive Player of the Year guys in Kawhi Leonard and Marcus, Gasol, guys who have won that award in the past, and they can't even execute a simple switch. Uh, and DJ Augustin sniping in a three-pointer from the top of the key because you know Kawhi's been on this load management thing for the whole season. They haven't really built up a lot of chemistry and cohesion on the defensive end. So you know, I chalk it up a little bit to Lowry no-showing um, because that's what he's going to do. But I also put some of the blame on uh, Kawhi Leonard's doorstep, Uh, Just because, look, I mean, the guy played 50-something games this season. That's not what you need to do if you're trying to win a title. Uh, And I think, frankly, it came back to bite them in game one.
3: Let's go to Brooklyn, Philly. Uh, Brooklyn was aware it was the playoffs, but I think Jimmy Butler was the only 76er who knew the playoffs started on Saturday. Um, What was more embarrassing, kind of Philly's just general effort there, or Ben Simmons calling out the fans for booing him?
5: Yeah, the Simmons thing was such a bad look. I mean, come on. Uh, There's no excuse for that. I mean, you've got to understand that if you're going to underperform like that, especially in Philadelphia, you're going to get what's coming to you. Uh, To me, though, a little bit too much criticism went Simmons' way and not enough went Embiid's way. I think it's one of those situations where, like we're seeing in Portland, like you lose Yusuf Nurkic, and you have finality, right? It's like a terrible blow, but like at least you know you're not with him and you can kind of move forward and, and try to find somebody who can fill in those minutes and the rest of your team can adapt. I think what I see from the Sixers is a team that's almost like stuck in purgatory. They're just trying to work around Embiid, you know, keep him involved in the offense because he always wants to be that number one guy. But this guy's moving around terribly. I mean, I think actually Jokic was moving around better on the court in the playoffs than Embiid was, which is really saying something. Uh, His shot wasn't there. His conditioning wasn't there. He's checking his cell phone on the bench, trying to see maybe he's exploring uh, trade situations (laughs) for Ben Simmons this summer. And that's just a disaster. And I think it held everybody up, didn't it? And uh, to me, they say he's questionable for game two. I mean, if this guy is going to keep playing like this, and I'm not sure how he's going to play much better, I would consider sitting him because at least that would open up the possibility of unlocking Simmons. The big problem they've got right now is Simmons needs to be that primary creator, or he's not really going to be that helpful. And at this point, he's just standing around watching uh, Embiid, watching Jimmy Butler, and getting in the way because he can't shoot. So it looks to me like a mess in Philly. I think they're a five-alarm panic at this stage uh, because they had, a, wow. they had a title dreams. You know, they wanted to be in the finals. They're shooting for the stars. These guys look broke.
3: So speaking of injured players, um, we saw Paul George with his banged-up shoulder today shoot like Russell Westbrook. Um <laughs> Can the Thunder win this series with Paul George essentially being unable to hit a shot with any form of consistency? Because with, with all the bad shooting they had today, they were there right up to the end. And their defense was pretty awesome against Portland. It's not like Portland isn't without holes in their own right.
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's a pretty even series coming in. I expected it to go long. Uh, Nothing has really changed my mind there. I thought Damian Lillard had a phenomenal uh, performance for Portland. He didn't shoot the ball great, but he came out with the swagger, which is what all their anonymous wing guys need. They need something to believe in, you know what I mean? Like, who's going to carry us? And I think Damian just sort of came out there with that shepherd mentality of like, follow me, uh, I'll bring you to the promised land, and that really helped. Paul George, though, they're so dependent on his offense. You saw some of Westbrook's bad habits kind of leak out over the course of the game. And we know as the pressure ramps up, Westbrook, you know, ramps up the pressure on himself, takes more under his own control, and then you know starts to get crazier and crazier in, in some of these seasons uh, series uh, with his decisions. So to me, that means you know Paul George, like get that miracle cure. I mean, whatever it's going to be, make sure you get your body right uh, and come back out and shoot the ball better. I think their defense is good enough, like you mentioned, to still win this series. Uh, but I have questions. You know, who's really going to come out of that side of the bracket? I don't like any of the four teams that are on that side. I think the the last night shenanigans really skewed the bracket hard, uh, you know, into the, you know, the warrior side of the bracket where now you've got Houston and Utah, two teams I think would be basically anybody else in the conference besides Golden State now stuck playing each other in the first round. So, uh, you know, to me, like, that's the first-round series where, like, it's going to be very exciting to watch. But ultimately, I think it's pretty meaningless. I mean, either one of those teams, if they get to the Western Conference Finals, that's going to be a sweep.
2: Yeah, that that might be an ugly series. We've got Ben Gall over here the Washington Post. Ben, let, let's talk about the Warriors now, since this is Warriors World Radio. Um, I am very interested in the way Kevin Durant is playing. And we talked about this earlier. He looks more like the 16-17 KD where he was willing to take a little bit of a backseat, be a facilitator, be kind of the best defensive player on the floor with Draymond, and fill in the gaps for the Warriors and basically turn them from a steroided version of the 14-15 Warriors. Do you see that as consistent? I- Possible, sustainable throughout the rest of the postseason, and is there really a team that can challenge him if he's going to really keep playing this way?
5: I mean, this is such measure, uh, you know, measured and level-headed analysis <laughs> from Andy. I, you know, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right, but it's getting lost in the cacophony of pro staff tweets on Twitter. You know, these narratives, the actual narratives of how well Kevin Durant played all season, how consistent he was, is getting, uh, you know, swept under the rug because everybody wants to. Uh, you know, focus on what he freaks out and pouts uh, with a media member, doesn't talk to people for a week or whatever else. I think he's had a great season. Um, you know, I understand that it didn't always look pretty when Steph was injured. There's no question that they're at their best when Steph is playing well. I mean, look no further uh, than the game one where he was just unconscious. But I thought Kevin had a really nice season, really nice closing to the season. I think that they've rallied around him in a way that really stands in contrast to like the Lakers and LeBron James. I mean, when things got tight for L.A., they just completely collapsed around LeBron and floated around LeBron. When things got tight with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry all of a sudden was now, like, going three times speed to pick him up off the court every single time he fell down. All of a sudden, Draymond seemed to tone things down a little bit. Katie wants to yell at a ref. Now every single person (laughs) in the organization, including Steve Curry, is screaming at the refs, too. And they really did rally around him and kind of bring him back into the fold. I think that bodes well for their postseason journey, I mean, it's kind of a boring take to pick the Warriors to, to win going away again this season for the third straight time. But I don't really see them losing more than four or five games total in this postseason. I think Milwaukee's been pretty impressive, uh, especially in that game one. I think that could be a team that, that makes them think a little bit. Uh, but outside of Houston, I think everybody else is just roadkill.
3: So the one Warrior who who kind of struggled last night was DeMarcus Cousins. And now Montrezl Harrell's a tough matchup for him. He's really quick. Uh, Kind of takes advantage of Boogie's weaknesses. But then I look ahead, you know, if they play Houston next round, which most of us expect them to, he's going to have the same issue with Clint Capella. And I'm starting to wonder, is this, it's been one game, but is this kind of going to be DeMarcus Cousins playoffs where the Warriors know they're better without him and he's just kind of playing 18 minutes a game just so, you know, they start him and that's about it. Then they go to, you know, Supermax Kayvon Looney.
5: Yeah, I mean, and also the the depth lineup, too. I mean, I think Kerr said after game one that, look, it's not rocket science. We know what our best lineup is. And it's like, well, they've done such a good job of hiding that group all season long, and they've played less than 200 minutes together, that you sometimes forget that they've got that incredible look, too. I mean, Looney's been, what was he, plus 30 in game one? That was incredible. But I still think that, uh, you know, when it's winning time, we know which five guys are going to be on the court. And you look at their net ratings, whether it's, from last year's playoffs or, like, this year's regular season. I mean, they're just smoking teams off the court when they go to that Hamptons 5 group. So, uh, to me, the Cousins thing, it's almost like, uh, you know, the cherry on top of the Sunday, right? It's like, okay, uh, go out there, do whatever you want to do, get your feet wet in the postseason. I mean, when push comes to shove, I don't think he's going to be on the court. And I think they've done a, a good enough job of managing his minutes and his responsibilities this season. Like They've done right by him. So if they do need to bench him in critical moments or scale back his minutes in a certain matchup, I think he's going to be okay with it. And I think the people who were really predicting that doom and gloom for Cousins' personality, you know, breaking up the Warriors and all of this, we just haven't seen that at all. I mean, that seemed like it's basically being exposed as a false narrative, and (laughs) I expect that to continue, too.
2: That is true. That is true. We'll see what happens against Houston. But, Ben, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you, man.
5: All right, guys. Good luck with the show. Uh, Take care. Andy, it's good to have you back, too, man. I miss you.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Miss you, too, Ben. Ben Gulliver, Washington Post. Love having him on. Um, We're going to go to break here on the other side. We're going to talk about DeMarcus Cousins, like Ben
3: just said. Can he actually play the rest of the postseason? And we'll have Yovan Bruham from The Athletic to discuss the Warriors-Clippers game.
0: Warriors World Radio continues on 95.7 The Game. Here's Andy Lou and Sam Esfandiari. Warriors World
3: Radio here. Sam Esfandiari and Andy Lou. So, in my opinion, the most interesting non-Warriors thing of the first weekend of the playoffs was the Philadelphia 76ers versus the Brooklyn Nets. And not specifically the game, not the fact that Philly came out with kind of regular season intensity and Brooklyn knew it was the playoffs, but the fans booing Philly in, was it the first quarter? or was it the second quarter. It was the first quarter. It was very early. The Philly fans were booing their home team because they were unhappy with the effort, uh, and they kept that going the whole way through. It felt like Jimmy Butler was the only player on that team who knew it was the playoffs, and the fans were not happy about it.
2: I thought Joel Embiid knew it was the postseason. I think the fact that he tried to play through that knee injury, you know, it, it meant sure. a lot, I think. But I agree with you. So Ben Simmons had something to say. Why Do we have
3: well, that? Let, let, let's go to this. So okay. all the comments, all the quotes after the game had more to do with the booing than the game. And Ben Simmons had some thoughts for the fans. The,
4: the crowd was frustrated. Did you guys hear that? Did
0: that have any effect?
1: I mean, if you're gonna boo, then stay on that side. So I feel, like if you're a six are gonna boo, stay on that side. So I
2: think this is fascinating because for a fan base like the Philadelphia fan base, they're not the Golden State fan base, right? They're not. It's just a different. Philly's it's not, Philly. It's not like they're better fans or greater fans or anything like that. It's just a different fan base, right? It's different people. It's a different vibe there. Now, I would totally understand kind of Ben Simmons going this route. If the Sixers had been great this season, right? If they had brought it every night, if they were consistent, if they had gelled and they were like a 56, 60 sixty-win team, whatever it is, right? But and they I weren't. would
3: understand if he played great, if, if the energy was there, but the fans were booing because they, I mean, they, they played like it was a regular season game. There was no added intensity. Brooklyn came out with added intensity, Ben Simmons was anonymous for majority of the game.
2: Yeah. If you're gonna play like that, and that's that's consistent from the whole season. Like this has not been a great Philadelphia Sixers basketball season. They've they've seen this. This is kind of like the Boston Celtics. If the Boston's fans want to boo them, like I'd agree with that as well. Boston hasn't played great. So same with the Sixers. They've got Tobias Harris, right? They traded for Jimmy Butler. They have five players in the starting lineup that
3: Probably the best starting lineup outside of Golden State in terms of names, in names, terms of ability, right. in terms of upside. Now, granted, they brought two of them in in the regular season. That's always going to make chemistry hard. But they, in terms of upside of a starting five, only the Warriors is higher. So I guess, so I guess we're
2: going to throw a poll on you know hashtag Warriors World Radio. Um, and text and call in here. But essentially the question is, should fans be able to boo there? Should they should they be able to kind of voice the displeasure, especially for a team like the Sixers that are struggling like this?
3: I thought I thought Ben Simmons showed he didn't get it. I, I thought his reaction was defensive. Um, and I thought it was kind of weak to call out the fans like that. Maybe, maybe you should call yourself out. Maybe you should score 10 points next game. I well, don't know. That's my personal opinion. Now, on the flip side, I think Joel Embiid post-game – had a lot more thoughtful way of looking at the booing.
1: People are yelling that it felt like a old game. You know, I love the fans. I've never said anything about them. Uh, they all show us a lot of love. I mean, it's understandable. They come in. They pay a lot of money. They want they want the game to be entertaining. Uh, they want to watch us win. So I understand why they're booing. But, you know, the fact that it's after every single miss, uh when, you know, shots are gonna fall, they're not gonna fall. Uh, and uh tonight they didn't fall but, you know, um uh, for me I'm I'm fine. I play I play through anything. Uh but for some guys it just he just I know. He can't be unknown just like, you know every miss shot you and then you get booed and and then so you get the next one it kinda feels like, well, should I shoot it or should I not? Because I'm about to get booed, or I don't know. Some guys are like that. that uh, it's hard. I think we all got to do a better job, us, the fans. Uh, but uh, I don't blame them. We we got to bring the fun, and we got to we got to make shots.
2: So Embiid said something that I agree with there, and I think that matters uh, to how the fans should behave is. If you're booing after every shot, then at some point you're doing it as a self-serving kind of thing, right? You're doing it for yourself. Fans are doing it just to be – just to kind of be that fan. It's
3: it, like it's like the wave but for booing.
2: Yeah, it's just like why, why, what's the point? I, I get it if you want to do it once or twice during a timeout to show that you're not happy about it. But if you're almost – and being almost hinted at his own players kind of getting rattled by that and, and saying, you know, should I shoot? Should I not? At that point, it's if you're a fan, your job, that's not what you want to be doing. You don't want the team to be playing worse. So
3: I, I think that's a point there. I, I, and, and But it's Philly. <laughs> from the 209, yes, fans can boo. When you come from fans who supported Iverson, a guy who brought it every game, yes, boo them. See, I agree with the 209 here. Um, when you pay money to go to a game... Cheer or boo as you see fit. As long as you're not crossing the line, throwing stuff, saying stuff that you would never say in person that's just you know, inappropriate, go for it. The, the Philly fans let their team know they didn't find their, their effort acceptable, and I think it's just kind of weak for the players to be responding to it. I thought Embiid's answer was 100 times better than Simmons, but end of the day, what they should say is we should have played better. We should have gave them a reason to cheer. I think Clay Thompson
2: had something interesting to say about this earlier this season when he essentially said that the fans weren't bringing it. He just straight up said that, you know, coming from Clay, which is a little, you know, a little bit odd, but it was true. In Oracle Arena, not that there are better fans in Oakland or that there are better fans in San Francisco. I don't think that's the case. It's a matter of who the fans
3: are and who the fans are there. And they- every, every fan base has its own culture. Philly, we know, is a little more aggressive and negative. <laughs> But he, here's the thing.
2: After Clay said that, he came back out. He apologized. He did his little media tour after that, after you know Raymond Ritter told him to stop. But the fans have been great at Oracle. And I'll, we'll both be there in Game 2 tomorrow. But they've been fantastic from the end of the regular season on to last night. And I think the players feed off of that. So here's the difference that I want to note. Because with the Warriors, there are times that they don't play well. A lot of times that they don't play well in the regular season. But their fans do give them a lot of leeway. Um, I think the players have kind of gone the opposite route, where Steph got was already amping up the crowd in the first quarter last night, which I thought was not something that he normally does. But I think that was his way of saying he wants to get the crowd involved in that pers- particular perspective because he wants that. He knows that when Oracle is amped up, it's not like any other. Like Philadelphia's crowd is not comparable to what Oracle can do on a great day.
3: You can text us at the Chilton Body text line, 95795, or you can call in 888-957-9570. Um, from the 415, nice of you guys, but Philly fans suck. They really do. <laughs> I think it's awful the way they boo their players. So text in or call in and let us know. Do you think home fans should boo their team, or do you think they should cheer and always stay behind them?
2: I mean, it, so the thing with that is, and to reiterate again, it's you can't do that every, like in said, you can't do that every single shot. I mean, let's have some, <laughs> let's have some nuance. Why not?
3: It worked for Jimmy Butler. It got Jimmy going. Jimmy was the only one who was, it, it might only work for Jimmy Butler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
2: just don't think that's, that's just not a way, like,
3: how do beast- you think the Warriors would respond if Oracle. If they had one of their ga- they had quite a few of them this year, or you're like, are you guys aware the game starts today? Um, I think the Warriors seven- would have liked it. You think they would have fed off it? Do you think it would have got Steph, Clay? Oh, yeah. Dre- I know it would have got Draymond going. I, if there's one thing I know, Draymond would have fed off that, and we would have seen one of his uh, eight steal type of games.
2: Listen, if if Clay is the one that came out here and said that he wanted more energy from the Warriors crowd, what do you think that they would have felt if the Warriors crowd had enough energy during these regular season games to boo them? Right? They'd probably be like, "Hey, these guys are at least, at least loud. They're at least saying something." Right? And here's the thing: it's not like Philadelphia crowds are like like this in the regular season anyway. So it's not like it's just an Oracle thing. Let's let's preface that. But I just think. If you want your team to play better, what does booing them every single play, what does that serve you, right? What does that do for you, right? I get doing it a couple times maybe every time out, but I just don't see uh, the pro of doing that every single play. At that point, you're just... The pros, you're
3: dissatisfied. The pros, you paid playoff ticket prices to come see your team play like it's a playoffs, and they didn't.
2: Yeah, I just think they're just being pricks at that point. (laughs) I, I just... Yeah, you're you're just you're just at that point you're making it more about yourself as a crowd rather than the player. So um, I thought this one was funny from the five one zero. Ben Simmons makes me respect greatness because you could be really talented, but if you don't put in work, you'll never be great.
0: TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic.